Welcome to I Got Back Up, Getting Back Up With. I'm Talia Lazarus, your host, and in August 2021, my whole life changed. I was in a road accident which led me to 10 weeks of no walking, two knee surgeries, and learning how to walk again in my 20s. My journey took me on a physical, emotional, and mental roller coaster, and I was broken and lost in every way. But then I learned I had the ability to change my own life and write my own story. So join me as I share powerful life stories, exploring the power of resilience and perseverance. Sometimes we are confronted with unexpected challenges and moments that defeat us. And it's during these dark times we question everything and lose who we are. But the human spirit possesses an immense strength that allows us to rise above the darkest moments and find the courage to rebuild our lives in unexpected and extraordinary ways. So leap into the deep end with us and head straight into the things that scare you the most. The hardest step is the first one, but once you take it, you're already one step ahead of yesterday and closer to everything you have ever dreamt of. I was on Mount Everest and the earthquake hit. I was 19 thinking, yeah, that's it, explains Alex Staniforth, motivational speaker, adventurer and founder of Mind Over Mountains. At nine years old, Alex encountered a mild form of epilepsy, which was a catalyst for a lot of challenges at school, including bullying for being regarded as different. After developing a stammer which crippled Alex's confidence and self-esteem, he discovered the outdoors. With a drive to push boundaries and thirst for adventure, Alex set out to summit Mount Everest in 2015. However, fate had an unexpected twist, and whilst deep in the Kumbu Icefall, the April 2015 Nepal earthquake hit and Alex was at the epicentre of danger. Combating the aftermath of this experience, soul-searching, survivor's guilt and acceptance followed testing his resolve and forcing him to confront his own fears and limitations. Take your challenges and turn them into opportunities. Alex was once told, you must grow from this, otherwise it's going to grow on you. Alex, thank you for joining me today. How are you? Great to be here. Yeah, good, thanks. Busy, I think everyone's busy at the moment. Um, (laughs) We're busy with positive things. So yeah, really good to share the story today. Awesome, awesome. So obviously, you know, we're going to talk about who you are and where you are today. But what I find really interesting is to kind of go back now and kind of start with the, you know, the very beginning or somewhere along the past, which helps shape who you have become. So it is over to you. And kind of if you let, you know, the audience know what what you think is interesting to, you know, the story of Alex and who you've become today. Great, thanks. Well, where to start? Um, I guess I'll give a bit of a brief autobiography. A very short version of the book, I guess. So, um, yeah, so I'm Alex. Obviously, I'm, um, I live in Kendall. Um, I'm from Chester uh, originally. Um, and I guess to start with, I probably was the last person you'd expect to be doing what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't want people to think that there's some kind of natural gift or talent. I think I've, I've just kind of fallen into where I am. Um, so where did it begin? I guess I had a, a pretty normal start in life, you know, as normal as, as you might think. Um, my parents gave me a great start. So I had everything I needed. Um, and I was brought up in a, you know, a small, a small place, uh, near Chester called uh, Kelsall, which, mm-hmm. you know, not much happened there, but nice and green and loved being outside. Um, and it was all kind of pretty standard until I was about nine years old and I had a mild form of epilepsy, mm-hmm. which, you know, was soon brought under control by medication and I've not had a seizure for, you know, 15 years, I think. Um, and I'm really fortunate for that, obviously, for the reasons, for the things I do now. Um, but that was just the catalyst for lots of challenges. It's such a kind of formative time in your life when you're trying to work out who you are and what you're doing and all these things. It was a lot of anxiety and having, you know, having seizures um led to kind of panic attacks and anxiety and i was afraid of being out of the house without my parents you know for the fear of mm-hmm. of more seizures um and that really held me back at such an important time um so that, that was the first thing but then that led to being you know badly bullied all the way through school um because i was different you know and, and that's like the worst thing you can be at that age um I, you know, I hated sports. I just detested exercise at the time. I, I remember coming second to last in cross country in the first year of high school um, and, you know, doing everything I could to avoid it. Um, I think most interestingly, I've, I, you know, I've had a stammer all my life, which I've never known life without the stammer. Um, and I'm very much covert, which doesn't mean I'm a spy. It just means I'm very good at hiding it, you know. <laughs> and so a lot of people don't actually notice it, but I'm very aware of that. And that has obviously crippled my confidence and, and self-esteem for a very long time. Um, 
the stamina can be so bad that I've literally, you know, smashed up phones at home just for the frustration of being able to say my own name. Um, years ago, I could not have done this now. Um, and it's weird. I've, I've always struggled with words to be able to see K. And at the start, you know, we spoke about holidays and I couldn't mm-hmm. say where I wanted to go first time. <laughs> um, so when you live in Kelsall and now live in Kendall, struggling with K words really isn't ideal. Maybe that's why I haven't climbed uh, Kilimanjaro yet. But basically, you know, I was a victim at school. You know, life was harder than I knew it. Not as hard as some people, but it's all relative. Um, yeah. And I guess in, in a very brief nutshell, I found the outdoors. The outdoors saved me. It helped me to really find myself, mm-hmm. to really um, find the confidence I never had, you know, to find a way to achieve, to, to, to prove myself and to prove all the bullies wrong. Um, and four years later, what do we think? Uh, I was about 14 when I went on my first hill walk in the Lake District. Yeah. And that was that kind of light bulb moment, like, wow, there's a world out there. Wow, this is cool. Um, at some point that day, I'd asked myself the question, where is Mount Everest? And a very short version of the story is, you know, literally four years later, I was on my first Everest expedition, age 18. Um, didn't plan for it to go that quickly, but, you know, life throws things at us, uh, life happens, gets in the way, as we say. And, and, and so um, that didn't go to plan. I guess I'll talk more about that short, shortly. Um, and to, to kind of encapsulate all that, you know, my, my purpose now is around, you know, overcoming challenges and, you know, like you, helping other people to, to overcome theirs too. Yeah, and um, I think that's amazing. And I think this is what I've learned from a lot of the people that I speak to, probably nearly everybody, is that, what we've been through and what you've been through and we've all been through individually. It is first of all, it is all relative, but how different our lives become and how, how we want to, how much we want to help people from what we've been through to, you know, the other people that are going through either similar or very dissimilar things. Um, Mm. And what is so interesting about your story as well is that again, everybody, everybody finds different, whether it's coping mechanisms or different things that, are their light bulb moment or, you know, spark them, give them um, a passion. And the outdoors, I mean, I love the outdoors. I was discussing this before, you know, I, 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 I believe that the mountains are my home. So it's really interesting also to find somebody that understands that as well, because sometimes a lot of people don't kind of understand why the outdoors does this to people, how it makes people feel. And this is obviously why, you know, we're sharing your story as well, because you discovered it and finding the outdoors has changed your life. And this is kind of the interesting part of is finding out more about how and why and especially what happened on Everest. Yeah, so if that's a question around why it helps, I, I think we're all trying to work out that, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, it just feels like it's intrinsically where we're meant to be, yeah. you know. And I moved, you know, about four years ago, I moved to actually you know actually, you know you know in the mountains you know i moved um you know to kendall on the south lakes for that same reason just because it's my happy place and it's healing it's been therapy for me at the time as well um and i think it's it's just intrinsically who you know who i am and where we are meant to be and we've lost touch with that um i think it's the ability to almost strip everything back to the core basics yeah. um as a kid i think what it was was that ability to actually um you know, it was just me versus the environment. Yeah. Like there was, you know, the bullies couldn't get me. It was purely down to my ability to deal with the situation, to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Um, and I think that's where where the confidence came in because I was entirely responsible for that kind of success and achievement. Yeah. Um, and then you build that resilience, you build that tolerance, you build that confidence for everyday life. And it doesn't make you invincible by, by you know, by any means. Um Confidence and anxiety is very situational. You know, put me on a stage in front of 300 people or put me on a mountain in a, in a storm and, you know, on my own, I've lost the map and cold and wet. I'm in my element. Put me in a, in a bar with strangers and I'd rather like run a mile and hide in the box, you know. Um, so it's just about for me tools and finding ways of coping. And I think it, when I go into the outdoors, it's that ability to put things yeah. in perspective, you know, that actually in the pandemic, for example, um, Thank goodness we didn't get stuck inside because it would have been a very different story for me. <laughs> um, the ability to go out, you know, to go on a run at sunset and just to look around me and think, you know, the world is chaos right now, but out here it's business as usual. 
Yeah, I love that. And um, no, I do. I love that. And I think I think getting outdoors, going for walks, especially during COVID, did help a lot of people mentally. But it does it going for a sunset, sunset, sunrise run, or a walk, or or, or being outdoors in nature. It does something so different to people that I guess you know it, it's kind of hard to describe. Um, and it's amazing that, like I said, that you have found you found something, especially quite early on in your teenage years, that has helped then shaped you to become who you are and, and face these challenges and almost look back on the past, especially to the bullies and things like that, and and show up to who you are in a completely different way, but to to who you are and who, kind of true to yourself completely. Yeah, and I think at that age you're trying to fit in, you're trying yeah. to kind of like everybody else and <laughs> I have absolutely no desire to fit in but it's very easy to get pulled back into that and I think the outdoors was a way of being different but I wasn't afraid of like yeah. the epilepsy the stamina all that made me different and so the outdoors was kind of a way of carving my path into that having having my own space um yeah. and there was always an element of you know wanting to to kind of be better than the bullies and prove them wrong and that was the best motivation for me but that obviously wasn't sustainable you know it gets yeah. to the point when there's nothing left to prove um yeah. you can't be motivated by that um but i think it's um yeah i think it was that element of just um being in a safe space knowing where you belong you know and a lot of the difficult times after that after everest etc have been when i've not really felt like i've not really knowing where I belong, not really yeah. being in my space and, um, you know, very much not interested in being in the crowd. You know, it's difficult because nowadays we're exposed to that, you know, yeah. like by this age, you should have this, this and that. It's like to hell with that. I just want to climb mountains, you know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's a really interesting time. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm really grateful that it's sort of taking me on that path, I guess. Definitely, definitely. So I want to know, well, I want to know as well as I'm sure everybody else does, what happened on Everest then? So some people may have seen the um, Netflix documentary uh, Aftershock. Um, I decided to watch that with my mum after I had an operation, which probably wasn't the best thing to watch together. That was a story based on what happened the second time around. Um, probably not my best decision. So throw back to 2014. Um, so, I, so I was 18 at the time. I would have been the second youngest Brit to climb Everest. That was kind of how I managed to get the sponsorship together. Mm -hmm. um, I had to raise sort of 35 grand um, by myself. Um, my job as a pot washer in the local pub wasn't going to pay for it. So I was going to have to find a way I'll make one, basically. Mm -hmm. um, joined a team led by a guy called Tim Mosdale, who has been my, um, he took me on my first rock climb in Borrowdale, like 2010. Um, I wanted to be on his team, you know, he, you know, his ethos, his whole approach was was exactly it. And he was like a mentor as well. So managed to get the funds together, managed to get the training, you know, climbing in the Alps, climbing in the Himalayas, climbing in Scotland, um, jumping the hoops, basically. And you kind of naively think at 18, oh, you know, the harder you work, then the more lucky you'll get, right? Yeah. I mean, we're taught in school how to succeed, but we're not taught, kind of taught how to fail. Um and a day before base, uh, a day before we got to base camp, you know, about three weeks in of this two month trip in Nepal, um, there was a massive avalanche in the icefall, which sadly killed 16 Sherpas. So we had to pack up and go home without stepping a single foot on the mountain. Now, obviously, we have no right to complain. We're going home safe to our families and we can try again. You know, the mountain will always be there. People always said, I'm like, I know the mountain will be there, but you don't quite appreciate what it's taken to get to get there. Yeah. You know. Um, I think that for me was the main lesson around failure and risk and so much is outside of our control, you know, and that's where I think this fear of failure actually became redefining failure is actually it's, it's only a failure if we don't get back up. It's only mm -hmm. a failure if we don't actually find the opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I went home, trained, trained harder, used this as an opportunity to come back stronger, raise the money again. Um, and was back in there in 2015 with Tim on the same team. Uh, this time you think, well, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> um, so we we left base camp in the early hours of the 25th of April. Uh, went up to, to camp one for the first time. So 
for those who don't know, you know, there's this four camps on the south side um, below the summits, and you have to move up and down them a number of times uh, in rotations. And we left base camp about five o'clock that morning uh, for the first trip up through the icefall, which is the most dangerous part of the entire route. And we were just below camp one, about 6,000 metres, when the earthquake hit Nepal. So we got hit by this big blast of power, you know, which at that age, you know, you can only assume the worst. And I remember being on my own uh, in the icefall. Um, the, the fog was so thick in the valley that day that you don't really have any spatial awareness. You know, it was quite hard to work out where we are and the kind of mass of this thing. Um, and yeah, just getting hit by this big suffocating blast of white, you know, and the first time in my life at 19 thinking, right, you know, that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and so it's interesting because it's like eight years last week and sometimes the goosebumps just get me. Um, yeah. So we were, so then we, we all, somehow made it to camp one unharmed you know our whole team were up there um the debris the ice that you'd expect never hit us somehow we just got this big blast of wind um but now the route down to base camp was gone uh we've got food for a, a, you know a couple of days at most we're told we could be there for a week every half an hour you've got aftershocks and avalanches hitting us from both sides you know and, and all we can do is sit there and wait uh, so we spent two days stuck up there while all this is going on, not actually knowing that, that we've been in the safest place of all. You know, that the base camp down below had just been wiped out by this much bigger avalanche triggered by the earthquake. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll never forget, you know, getting on my satellite phone, calling, you know, calling home about half an hour after this had all kicked off. And my mum was all excited and relieved and like, excited, you know, she's, she was so pleased to hear from me. She was like, oh, you know, how are you feeling? How's it going? And I was like, right, listen, there's there's been a slight problem. <laughs> slight problem. Um, yeah, and you know that heart heartbreak of like hearing her cursing and screaming and crying at me like halfway across the world, and there was nothing I could do at the moment. Um, we're in a situation we've just got to make the best out of it. Mm. So that was kind of what happened. Uh, we got airlifted down two days later um, to this carnage, you know. Sadly, three of our Sherpas haven't made it, and 20 people at base camp have gone that day, including, you know, 9,000 lives across Nepal. We, we were just a tiny part in this, you know, global disaster. So that obviously didn't quite go to plan. And I guess the question at the time was, how on earth do you bounce back from that, you know? Yeah. How? Um, and all that followed that was, you know, a lot of, soul searching uh, kind of a lot of guilt post-traumatic stress probably you know why them why not me um you can't really train for that nobody can really train for that especially at, especially not at that age um and so yeah there was a really it was probably the most challenging time of my life because there's this loss of purpose you know the outdoors gives us that sense of purpose and and, and you know if you say that ability to to help others and make a difference and then all of a sudden it's you're left with this kind of midlife crisis like thinking what's this all about you know yeah yeah I think I mean so you were on the combo icefall during the at the uh, earthquake yeah and I think hearing that I mean I've seen only ever seen obviously I haven't been but only ever seen pictures and videos and and to be to be there of all places because that's the most dangerous part kind of the route on Everest isn't it it is it is um well it's strange because I was so knackered that day that I didn't actually feel the earthquake. I don't know how, because most of my team, they, they've raced well ahead of me. And I remember chatting to my uh, TED mate in ESC Camp 1, and he mentioned like, about the earthquake. And I was like, what do you mean earthquake? And he's like, do you feel it? Because <laughs> for them at Camp 1, they, they've actually been lying in the tents. It'd be like a bouncy castle. You know, the whole ground was just up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, yeah, I was so knackered on my own that you just kind of get so focused yeah. in the process that you just don't feel it. Um, but obviously, that is what that that's what had had broken the ice off the mountain, and, and that's what had done the damage. Yeah, I mean, and that that that's a lot to take on. Uh, I mean, any age, but 
so young at 19 years old and you know you're still you know you're technically still developing you're still technically you know you're figuring yourself out it's you know your teenage years and your early 20s is where I think a lot of people are figuring out who they are figuring out a lot about themselves so to throw that in the mix as well so how 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 did you start to you know how did you start to show up again face your fears How, how did you start to kind of turn things around for yourself I think initially there was this there's about acceptance, yeah. you know, that's always to me the first step is actually, okay, the, the more you try and argue and fight it and deny it, you, you're just never going to move forwards. Um, so you've got to accept the, the pain, you know, and at first, like my family, you know, I think mum especially, we're really close. I'm an only child, um, at least until she got the dog and now that's the favourite child. Um, <laughs> it was that sense of, like, I didn't really want to be anywhere. I didn't want to be at home. I felt guilty, like, why am I home? Why not the Sherpas? Uh, you know, I wanted, I would have happily swapped places. Um, and I think initially I just kind of shut myself away because nobody else could really understand unless they were on my team. Um, there was a lot of survivor's guilt, you know, especially seeing things at, at base camp that, yeah, I mean, and I only saw a very filtered version of that. I'm ungrateful, but, you know, stuff that um, you're not trying to deal with. Um, there's that initial kind of just closing yourself away and not really knowing how to deal with it. So you just kind of put it in a box to one side and just, just push it away. Um, but I did what I'd always done. And all I knew was to try and find an opportunity, you know, try and make something good out of this. Like I'd been saved for some reason and I had an obligation to the Sherpas to try and, you know, make that count. Um, so after probably a couple of weeks of just kind of burying myself, um, I just got back out there, you know, and started, right, how can I make a difference to people in Nepal who've lost everything? But there wasn't, that's probably, probably fair to say that it wasn't just like a, you know, a switch. Um, I remember a good friend of mine, Rich, who he kept calling me. I think it must have been about a week later or a few, a few days later, was, and I was still in very much in this guilt mindset. And Rich had been in the army. He'd, you know, he, at my age, he'd been, you know, in wars, you know, he'd been shot at and had to, see much much worse things um and he just gave me this really like tough love like ex-military approach and he was like you know this is probably the best thing that's ever happened to you and he said you know you've got to grow from this otherwise it's going to grow on you i'll never forget that i was in my bedroom at the time when when i spoke to him and that and it was just what i needed it didn't wasn't easy to hear but he was right and basically I, I just went 100 miles an hour. I threw myself into fundraising. I decided if I couldn't climb Everest, I was going to cycle it. So found a hill in the Pennines, cycled up and down it nonstop for about 21 hours. It's about 29,000 vertical feet. Yeah. As a fundraiser, um, you've got to think differently. Uh, started writing my first book, Icefall, um, which obviously wasn't the book we planned to write. But when this all kicked off, I thought, well, that's the book gone. I actually said, no, no, this is a really unique story. So it's like, yeah. great. Okay. I moved, so I moved to the lakes that summer for, for about two months to work uh, in a youth hostel. Um, again, for kind of healing and therapy, you know, the lakes helped me to process it all. Um, being in my own space, being in my happy space. I then moved back home because I was spending too much time on my bike and not enough time writing. <laughs> um, and now speaking, I, I'd already kind of fallen into speaking by this point um, at a very at a low level. Um, but that summer, I had about two or three months of speaking where it was just an ordeal. Like, I think it was the trauma was so raw that sometimes I'd used to stand and speak and I would just freeze. I just, I had to sit down and go out the room. And I very, very nearly binned that speaking career off because I just, every time I stood up, it was just an ordeal. And it was probably too soon. It was probably too, too raw. But I felt I had to share it. Um, I remember like, the power of vulnerability just one day i had a speaking gig to a load of like young footballers about 150 in a room and oh, i i literally had a, a sick note drafted in my email inbox <laughs> but giving up it just isn't in my values it's just not yeah. what i do and i think something that day i stood up and i froze like 150 people gave me that kind of puzzled look and i just something just took over me and I remember that keynote being 
probably one of the most powerful I've ever done because it's something just came out of nowhere and the yeah. feedback is probably the best I've ever had off a keynote even now with a lot more experience so hopefully better than I was back then um and that's what kept me going you know that one keynote turned it around um but sorry to answer your question basically I just did a lot of fundraising a lot of stuff I just kept doing one thing and one thing and one thing um but I think in hindsight I'd kind of been running away from it you know, I'm, I'm not really kind of processed it. I was just avoiding it, you know, and eventually it caught up with me. Um, but as always, it's thinking of the Sherpas, you know, the most resilient people you'd ever meet. And they had lost everything yet still gave so much. So yeah. that was my inspiration. Yeah. I, I mean, what the Sherpas do, you know, just to say is I, I just think one of the most incredible things um, that I think anyone really could ever do I again I watch you know when I watch documentaries and I, I I hear stories about them I just think the bravery and the courage and the the resilience that these people have is outstanding it's almost not like human <laughs> it's it's outstanding and I think that they deserve so much more appreciation and respect than the rest of the world I think truly gives them first of all just to say um, because it is amazing what they do and and they help so many people and they support so many people you know every day especially on the mountains yeah I mean they are superhuman they are the most yeah. resilient people <laughs> I've ever met and I'm really grateful to call them friends you know and we couldn't do what we do on the mountains without them for sure um yeah. so an element that is in their blood it's genetic it's what they it's all they've ever known um yeah. you know these are the sort of people where literally from kids they're, they're literally really got hills to get to school um <laughs> they live in the mountains it's all, all they know yeah so that conditioning obviously gives them that resilience but um I, i've been really fortunate to spend a lot of time in the mountains you know and um and the saddest part is that they were the ones who were worst affected by this yeah, yeah i'll tell you about um my friends at uh, uh, and lapper down in kainjuma and on the way out of base camp, after all this had happened, you know, they were okay, they were harm, the house was standing. Um, they had this big crap down the front wall, but they were, they were fine. And yet even so, Tashi was bringing us in with, you know, apple pie and uh, Snickers bars and prawn crackers and all sorts. And, <laughs> and she, said, she said, you know, we're not paying with part of their family now. You know, and it's like, we're not even the victims here. This is just staggering. Yeah. And um, then again, I went back to Nepal in 2017, this time as a solo trek, just to try and process all this um, yeah. and put it to bed with the, with the view of going back to Everest one day. And by chance, uh, Tashi and Lapka's tea house had actually burnt down about a week before, a freak fire. Um, they were safe again, but they've lost everything. Yeah. As I got there, you know, you just don't know what to say. You know, I've managed to raise some money for them and, you know, literally put a post on social media and got them something. Um, and yet Lapo was just smiling. He's like, don't worry, we're going to build a better house. This one was rubbish. I was like, what? You know, your house is burnt down. What? Um, because they look for the, they look for the opportunity, yeah. you know, and that's, that for me has been inspiration, you know, is if that happened to us, I know if that happened to my house, I wouldn't be so positive about it. <laughs> and what I really like about what you just said, the story you just mentioned about the Sherpa and then that it inspires me because I can see that it inspired you because some of the things that you were saying just before that as well, I was going to say what you've done and then obviously what's happened with, with, with regards to obviously the, you know, the house catching on fire is taking an opportunity, sorry, taking a challenge, uh, not an opportunity, taking a challenge that has happened in your life, their life, whoever's life and turning it into an opportunity. So being able to take the challenge and making an opportunity out of it. And you've, you have done that. You've been able to do that. Things that have come up and challenges that you faced, you were able to turn into opportunities to then grow from and 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 change your life from. And something that you said before, which was about the book, and you said, um, "Oh, you know, scrap the idea. You know, it's it's finished." But instead of instead of kind of dismissing it completely and giving up, you actually realize, "Wait a minute, I'm not going to give up on this. I'm now gonna I'm going to do something different. I'm going to adapt. I'm going to change it, and I'm gonna." I'm going to now write a different book on something that something new, something else that has happened, something that I didn't think about, say, yesterday. And I think that's what's so interesting is that if you hit, you know, you hit a wall or you hit something and you think I'm going to give up, 
because it hasn't worked out how you want it to work out, instead of giving up, there is so many different ways that you can do something. And that is exactly what you have done. Thanks. I've certainly tried my best. Um, <laughs> it just feels instinctive now, going back to that early hill walk at, you know, yeah. at nine years old and then finding the outdoors and, you know, wanting to keep pushing the bar higher and higher. What else can I, can I achieve? Um, so it's kind of instinctive. And for me, that is the basis of resilience. It's the ability to, to keep moving forwards. Um, yeah. But the main lesson from Everest was actually, you know, I naively thought at 18 that when I got to Everest, that everything would be complete, you know, yeah. that I can rest on my laurels. I've, <laughs> I've achieved my life goal um, and that everything would just fall into place, yeah. you know, and nothing else really mattered. Um, and so when it all fell apart, it was that real sense of kind of grief and loss of almost yeah. like, what am I going to do? How am I going to fulfill my, you know, you know, how am I going to make my life count anymore? What, well, how can anything else possibly fill that gap? Yeah. Um, but fortunately, I guess I realized that actually Everest was just the start. You know, actually Everest was just part of something much bigger. Yeah. Um, and I was able to find kind of new challenges that achieved the same kind of benefit, the same kind of personal goal. And you realize that, you know, Everest itself is like the mountains. It is kind of very much a self-fulfilling kind of prophecy. You know, you want to reach the top of the mountain and place the flag and that's great. But then you come back down again and then what's next and then what's next yeah. and then what's next. Um. And after Everest, I actually went back to try and climb the sixth highest peak in the world, uh, Choyu in Tibet. Mm -hmm. I didn't reach out to them either, uh, just to, just in case anyone wondered. Um, <laughs> got to about 7,000 meters and, and, you know, um, then, then it was the altitude that got me. Yeah. I remember having this like moment looking back thinking, you know, if I'd been in that tent in Everest the year before, you know, our tents at base camp were just torn apart like a piece of paper buried under about a foot of, of, of snow and, and rock. It's like, what would I have left behind? And, you know, that feeling of like, what's this all about? And having closure with Everest and actually thinking, right, how can I make a bigger difference close to home? So it was actually just an opportunity to come up with more challenges. And, and climbing the UK was the next big one. That was yeah. cycling, running, walking, hiking to, to the highest points of all the counties in the UK. Um, and that was like the first time I'd actually achieved what I set out to do. But yeah. again, it comes down to that ability to, to keep moving forwards um even though i didn't achieve the goal um i'm fortunate that kind of speaking got bigger you know got bigger yeah. and busier um and that's now my main work and it's like the most rewarding job in the world because people have heard lots of stories about success in business and sport and adventure but actually i think people need to know how to deal with failure yeah. um and I, I hope that's what can interest them um Starting a charity, Mine um, Over Mountains, you know, is, is nearly three years old, you know, and that has kind of become my legacy. I didn't expect to be doing that this early in my life, but we're all on borrowed time as I learned on Everest and there's definitely a need to do it. So, yeah. you know, um, it, these all things have all come out off the back of that <laughs> negative experience. Um, so, yeah, I think there's always a silver lining, right? Yeah, yeah, there really is always a silver lining. And if you don't see it, you know, the moment it's happened, the following week, the following month, the following year, if you just keep going, and I know that's so hard to say to keep going, because it's really hard to keep going. I, I It is. But if you just keep going, and you just don't give up, that silver lining will show, it will show and, and it will come, it, it will come out in a way that however many years ago, you never, ever, 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 ever anticipated or thought would happen. And it just shows up one day and you have that that moment and you kind of think, oh, wait a minute. This, is this it? <laughs> yeah. As you say, it probably comes when you least expect it. Yeah. And only when you stop grappling with it and trying to fight it and trying to control it, can that happen? Um, like to give you another little story, um, last year, uh, about, yeah, it's April last year, um, I did probably my last long run, uh, in, you know, you know, in the lakes, meers and waters. And I trained for everything, you know, but then something you, you don't expect to happen. Um, two days later, a COVID finally got me. And since then, I've been on this pretty rubbish expedition with long COVID. Um, and so not being able to run, not being able to, to, to do my usual things, it's just yeah. kind of how I, 
express myself. That's how I manage anxiety. That's everything. Um, it's suddenly taken away. And at the time, you know, there was this sense of, you know, just trying to fight it. Like, I, 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 you know, the same way I had all the other challenges and you realize that this isn't going to work. Yeah. And there was a lot of depression involved with that. There was a lot of, you know, it was probably the hardest year of my life for, for sure because there was no time scale. You know, there was no, it wasn't like an illness or an injury where you can say, right, this will take six months, a year, et cetera. Yeah. I didn't know whether I'd ever get back to running again. Um, and when I stopped kind of grappling with it, it was like, I need to just focus on what I can control. Yeah. And that was, okay, happiness and joy and success is often something we kind of cast into the future. It's like, oh, well, when I get there, it'll be fine. Yeah. But then it's what can I do to find some joy in the moment right now? And I discovered open water. So I started like jumping in tarns and lakes in the lake district <laughs> and just fell in love with it. And that has now become part of the toolkit. And I'm glad to say I'm back running now, um, making a very, very, very slow comeback. Um, but that that kind of, you know, silver lining kind of emerged at the time. But now when I, when I look back at it, um, things happen in such a, an order sometimes that there has to be some kind of coincidence to it. Uh, there is some meaning behind it. I really believe that. Yeah. I believe it as well. <laughs> I believe oh, it as well. Okay. And that's a, that's, that's a, uh, yeah. That's a and, yeah. And that's a, that's a completely, that's a completely different, uh, we could talk about that for a very long time. And I, I do believe it as well, but I think what again is really interesting. And what you just said is as well, is that again, you were faced with another challenge, not being able to run because of what happened. And yet you then discovered you know, open water swimming. And even that, it just shows your resilience of you were faced with a challenge again, and then you found an opportunity and who knows where that's going to take you because I've heard some pretty cool stories about that as well. So you know, that could be the beginning of your journey with, you know, outdoor uh, open water swimming. So it's really interesting how, well, you're right, how it's not coincidental and how things happen um, almost methodically in life. Um, but I do also want to ask, and you said that, you know, you hadn't processed what happened with Everest for a very long time. Have you processed it now? Great question. Um, I don't think I ever will fully. I think you live with it. I think it's become a key part of me and my story. Um, I'm not defined by it, but I'm, you know, it's part of me now. I, don't, I think these things that happen to us, they, they become part of our strength. Um, uh, when it was the anniversary, like quite recently, you know, eight years, um, it's interesting because like, I'd almost forgotten about it because it's been so busy. It's a classic thing <laughs> until a friend who was on my team had posted the photo that yeah. I got a photo at base camp with the three names of our Sherpas. And when I saw that on social media, I was, I just remember like this sudden, you know, goosebumps and welling up the tears. And so clearly there's still some trauma there. Um, I think to an extent, there is still this feeling of like needing to, you know, make life count. There is a pressure to really push the bar, um, which is a good motivator as long as it's kept in check because <laughs> um, it's okay not to be on our A game all the time. Yeah. Um, I'd like to think I've already made a difference, but um, there's plenty more I want to do in my lifetime. Um, but I think I'm quite quickly i think i was able to like not blame not it's not kind of complain about it i think not to be a victim and so i've never really felt like a victim um some people on the team some people there i know that they're still a bit like oh you know why is why that happened to us and yeah. that doesn't help anybody um but i'm so used to talking about it now I mean, i'm speaking about it all the time you know businesses <laughs> and school and writing that it's not that it doesn't affect me i'm just used to it you know we get yeah. used to telling the story um but there is definitely an element of kind of trauma there um, yeah. that probably manifests in ways I've not necessarily seen. Um, you know, um, whenever I've had kind of other experiences, it's kind of, I think it's kind of really brought that back. Um, yeah. I didn't get treatment for that. So maybe I should have done, maybe I, I still need to. Um, but I've been able to use it as a force for good, I think. So as long as I can keep doing that, I think I'll, you know, I'll be okay. But I, when I went back to Nepal in 2017, I think that helped to heal it. 
because I was able yeah. to kind of kind of have a uh, corrective experience where essentially trying to replace those negative ones with a more positive yeah. brain. Um, but I'm, I'm really grateful that happened, not for everybody else, but yeah. for the fact that it's given me that perspective of what's important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's really interesting because I think nearly everyone I've spoken to um, or that I just meet in general, they are grateful for what they have been through. And I know, I mean, I'm grateful for what I've been through, but it still amazes me to hear so many other people say exactly the same thing. Um, And I just think that in itself, just that sentence should hopefully inspire so many people i might not which is fine but if it does that 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 that's what's so amazing about stories and about what we've been through and and just everything in in general with regards to you know like i said what we've been through in the stories and 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 following on through to the future of what you want to do and how you can change your own life and kind of with regard to that i wanted to ask you then so what's uh one piece of advice or what's advice that you would give to somebody that is at that challenge. So they are right in the midst of their challenge right now. And um, I know everyone's challenges are very different. Um, I I know that, but they are right in the middle of their challenge right now. And what what would you say to them? What's the one thing that you would say? One thing, wow. Um, (laughs) Think back to the point before around, you know, thinking Everest was the be all and end all. it's never too late to reinvent yourself. And that feels like a really sad process. It feels like, but I don't want to lose that. And actually, um, it's never quite as as breathing as you might think, you know, yeah. to, to always lose part of ourselves because we don't lose it, we just evolve. Um, and I'm still getting back to running and I've got plenty of goals, but now I have other things as well. And, and you yeah. realise that you're not just a runner, you're also a long list of other things, you know. I'm also a speaker, I'm a charity founder, I'm a, I'm a son, I'm a friend, I'm a mentor, et cetera. And, and you can't just be one thing. So I think not to be afraid of, of change. And um, and maybe the second thing is just to trust the process. Like yeah. I, I, I would say that there is often experience, I think, has given me that. And I think it's maybe hard for people that are maybe in that for the first time. Yeah. But for everything I've been through now, I just trust the process that so almost when things happen, I'm like, right, then what's what's this all about? You know, <laughs> and it doesn't make it easier. I still have, yeah. you know, we, we still have the same anxieties and frustration and whinges yeah. and moans. And I think we all need to have a tactical moan sometime. That's perfectly yeah. normal. That's the problem when you're a speaker, you people are like, oh, but you're always meant to be really positive. And, you know, why don't you tell people what you tell them? But I'm also human, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, trust the process is one of my favorites. Yeah, I, 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 I laughed when you said trust the process because I, it's what I do. Um, oh, cool, cool. I, yeah, yeah, I, I laughed because it, it. When you said that, I laughed because it resonated so much with me. Um, I trust the process, and it's really interesting because some people think it's crazy when I say it, um, but I just do. Th- and and it was when you said that when you are faced with something else again, you sit there and you go oh what <laughs> why is this happening but that then that's what made me laugh is because I I have that as well when I'm faced with something and I'm like oh really really but I know that for whatever reason something greater or whether I learn something from it something is happening for me to understand and to realize and to learn something to then move me on to you know the next phase in my life and to move me forward so trust the process 100 percent. I agree I agree. I agree. So is there anything else that you wanted to talk about today or to discuss? Um, it feels like we've had a really in-depth chat and it's been great. Um, <laughs> I feel like I've spoken a lot about myself, but I don't know whether it's worth talking around, you know, um, like the people around me, like support team and almost what, what people c- what people can do if they're trying to help somebody in that position maybe is that yeah. worth going yeah of course yeah definitely so do you want to dive into that or uh, yeah yeah, you know, go on. yeah so it'd be interesting then to hear it's kind of what you know you were saying about support and and, and having the right people not even the right people but having certain people around mm. you definitely because that's so important sure so I guess from a young age or fairly young age I mean I've been fortunate to have a lot of good mentors and coaches that I've kind of just 
stumbled across. I've not intentionally gone out to find them, yeah. but um, I think when you have questions and when you, you, you're trying to achieve a big goal, people have this information that they want to kind of give you that kind of step up. Yeah. So that's been great. And, you know, it's not about having lots and lots of people. I think it's having an intentional circle. Yeah. Um, and that has grown throughout this, you know, some people that I may be less in touch with. Um, with my first mentor, Chris, we actually started, you know, we know, so he's now kind of a co-founder in the charity. So we've kind mm-hmm. of grown from a mentoring to now a partnership, you know, which is, which is great. Um, but I think it's also about having the people that will tell you what you need to hear rather than just what you want to hear. And I'm sure you have to say when you go through a horrible, you know, a horrible experience and it's, it's life changing and scary and all yeah. that. It's, um, there's often a tendency, I think, for people to try and sort of they want to fix, they want to give you the answer, they don't know what to tell you. Um, and I think the advice I'd give to anybody that if they are trying to help, you know, someone who they know, if it's a family member, etc., um, through that is actually um, it's, it's more important to try and understand rather than try and fix. You know, it's almost actually what do you need rather than you know, you know. You know, how can I solve that? Because frankly, we probably know the solutions ourselves. Maybe there isn't a solution. I think sometimes just to actually listen to yeah. unconditionally accept people for what they're going through. And if it's not something they've experienced, it's really hard for them to, to be in your shoes. I think um, that the, the, the whole thing about, oh, it could be worse. So cheer up is just should be banned. I, I, I hate that <laughs> um, because, you know, it's all relative to our own experiences, as I said before. Um, but I think what's I think what's been key for me is actually in those moments of doubt and, and confidence is actually having people that have been there before can be the proof that it can be done. Um, and it doesn't need to be lots of people. Just one person who believes in you and, and, and can say the right thing at the right moment, I think, has been absolutely instrumental to me as well. Um, and now I'm trying to, you know, pay that forward. Um, I think, again, back to being outside when you're. In the mountains, it's so much easier to to open up to walk and talk. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know how those people came into the journey. I think if we show up as ourselves, if we be authentic, if we ask for help, um, we'll often get what we need. Yeah, and I think that in itself is it's almost the nail on the head. Is that you're right? If you we just show up and we're authentic to who we are the right people that are meant to come into our lives, whatever the reason to help us in whatever way, they will show up. And, you know, if you're feeling, I think for general, for anybody, if you're feeling that at the moment in this time that, you know, you don't think there's anyone coming and there's no one coming to help you or, 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 you know, you just don't see that. I actually think it's, 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 it's the opposite because so many more people show up in our life almost after we've been through what we've been through. And then it's the, the the right people that are meant to be in our lives show up afterwards. So if you're in a place where you're feeling like there's there's not many people at the moment, there will be as long as, like you said, we are authentic and we keep showing up because they, they again, I can't explain how, but they arrive. They just, they do. They yeah. just arrive. <laughs> they have a strange knack of doing that, don't they? And <laughs> you realize who, kind of who's important because they're the ones that do come and do help. Um, you know, and, and, and yeah, I think they've often done that to me for nothing in return other than just to pay it forward. And so I've tried to pay that forward as much as I can, you know, like you, you know, turning a, you know, a challenging experience into a positive, I think it's just really important. Um, And yeah, it's nothing else to add to that really. I think one kind of quote that uh, our leader Tim always used to kind of say at Everest Mm -hmm. was that it doesn't matter how good your support team is though, you're the only one who can take the first step. And there is always an element of ownership um, that even with the Sherpas around you, you know, our team had over 55 summits of Everest, you know, between them. Um, absolute machines. You know, I couldn't do it once. Blimey. Um, <laughs> then only you can take responsibility for that. And, and that's kind of the hard part is getting people to do that. Yeah. The first step's always the hardest, whatever it is in life, whatever it is in life, the first step is always the hardest. But once you take that first step, um, the journey, however long it takes, however hard it takes, however high it is, um, 
it's an amazing journey. And I think that's kind of the summary. It's an amazing journey once you take that first step. And it doesn't matter if you don't reach the top of the mountain, because actually it's the journey that's taken you along that way. And then it leads you to completely other journeys, completely other different, you know, different paths, different mountains, you know, different things in your life is where I think is is hugely important. So, yeah. Absolutely. No, I agree. And uh, it's not going to be easy, but I think that's, for me, challenges are what make life kind of meaningful. Um, it's what it, it's how we respond to them. It's it's how we get back up, and I've dropped that in there again. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Because, because, it isn't important because that's the thing is, like, you've got to be willing to, to take the risk to, yeah. to, 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 you know, to learn all that. Um, I don't know any different now. I don't think I'd ever be comfortable with, without risk and without things going yeah. wrong um because that's kind of where i thrive so yeah, yeah let's keep setting challenges and keep kind of you know getting back up again i guess yeah and i just want to say before we finish that i know you're making a difference um i i, I know you're making a difference and whether that's one person's life today and x many people's lives you know tomorrow or in a year you are making a difference and i think that you should, I mean, you should be told that. Um, whether you know that or you don't, I think that you should be told that because it's incredible what you're doing and from what you've been through to where you are now and just the story in general, it's, you are making a difference to people's lives. So thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that as well. I think, um, yeah, I guess I'm, I know I am, but maybe just not as much as I want. Um, it's that classic perfectionist thing, always wanted <laughs> doing more and bigger, but at the end of the day a great mentor says said this to me last week um you know you, you know you only have to change kind of one life at a time yeah um so yeah but i do appreciate that and you know it's kind of just thank you plus as well I, I think you know you know you know this is a great platform and and i hope um this will you know so no doubt get people when they need that kind of inspiration as well so thank you for doing all this you know as well and i think it's a great great platform Thank you very much. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and I really appreciate what you just said. So thank you very much for joining me. And it's been fun. I hope um, people will enjoy the talk. And yeah, it's been really, it's been really fun to chat. I mean, again, a lot of podcasts I do tend to be quite kind of broad around outdoors and then the same questions. And it's, it's just a joy to speak to somebody at the same sort of place around, you know, somebody on the same page. Um, around something so specific so yeah it's been really fun so thank you for having me on and i will thank dominic as well um who introduced us. Yeah, yeah definitely 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 and you know what you've inspired me i i well, not even inspired me i really want to go outdoors now <laughs> so that's that's resort in itself yeah well hopefully you get some uh more outdoors planned and yeah you know i'm gonna say i'm in the south lakes so if you ever fly like a walk or a climb then, then let me know um i'm not really a climber anymore I, I can but i'm more of a hill walker runner now so no, no, no. Hike, the hiking, the hills, it's perfect. That's all, it's more what I want to do as well. So 100%, I will take you off on that offer. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Alex. Thank you for joining me. So this week, think about the mountains that you want to conquer. Not just the physical mountains outdoors, but your individual mountains to climb. How can you turn your challenges into opportunities? Thank you for joining me. I'll see you next time.